This is Learn It From An 80s Song. I am your coach, Patricia Freiberg. This is I Love the 80s meets the healing of storytelling and the positive impact of music. Inspiring guests share their powerful stories, yielding incredible strengths. Through both story and music, this podcast will elevate your mood, providing you with a positive outlook. It will ignite recall so that you can tap into your own life experiences. We don't just hear the knowledge and wisdom gained from our podcast guests. Through powerful story, we can live it. Today, we have a very special guest. Please welcome Avisa Ilkhan. She's a former college expellee, now turned addiction counselor. She is a graduate in child development, an improv actress, and dancer. She is an EMS worker who traded working in the ER for addiction treatment in order to help those suffering from addiction, HIV, and homelessness. Welcome, Avisa. It's so great to have you here today with us. Hey, hello. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I just need to tell you how Avisa and I know each other. So through the pandemic, uh, she and I were in improv classes together throughout. And I know she was very busy, I remember, because she's not only in school, she was working and managed to get to improv class and just rock it. So it's just such a pleasure to see you here today. And I have so much respect for you, Avisa, and all that you do. And thanks again for being here with us on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's this year has been a whirlwind. And I'm just so happy that I even got the chance to be in improv with you. I I don't know how I managed to squeeze everything in, but somehow it worked. And I'm just really happy to be here. Thank you again. (laughs) Yes. So this is the part of the show where we have the big reveal as to what song from the 80s we're going to be talking about today. So without further ado, Avisa, what is the song that best resonates with the story you're going to tell us today? Can I get a drum roll, please? Madonna, Vogue. Yes! Beautiful song. Oh, I had to listen to it this morning. So for my Gen Xers in the room, the song was actually recorded in 1989, so it counts for this podcast. It counts. It, it has to count, right? It ha- I mean, it was the song to really get us from 89 and then right into 90. It's like, hello, 90s. And I can't imagine a better song to, to ring us in to 1990. Now, that song did come out in March of 1990. Um, however, It was recorded in December of 1989. It did hit number one on the Billboard charts in 1990. It's also known as the world's best-selling single, Madonna. So I can't wait to talk about how the song resonates. But before we do, Avisa, tell us your story. Okay. Well, you know, I do improv acting and people usually think that Actors naturally love to talk about themselves because it's it's about me. And I'm actually quite a shy person in my everyday life. 
uh, people are often surprised that I even get up on stage and perform because when it comes to just my everyday interactions, I'm really just, oh, oh let's not focus on me. So uh, I'll try to make it as humble as possible. I'm just like everyone else, just another person in this world. Uh, basically, I'll start with, I guess, high school, just another weird, awkward, quirky person, not knowing how to interact with people and feeling very self-conscious. And so that carried on to when I became an adult, feeling just very unsure of myself and where I fit in and who I even am. And so it all kind of culminated when I was working in the emergency room. I had this dream of becoming a doctor and because I like to help people. And I thought that this was the only way to do it. So I was dead set on going to medical school. I come from a Middle Eastern family, so it's like the typical Persian girl. She's going to study a STEM field, go to med school, become a doctor, have the big house and all that. So I was working in the emergency room and I loved it. I loved helping people, but the it takes a toll. So I was starting to feel a little bit uh, stressed and I decided, okay, I'm going to save my money and go on this epic backpacking journey. That's where I'll find myself. That's where everything will just make sense. So that's what I did. I hoarded as much money as I could. And then just about when I was feeling burnt out from my job, I kind of just left on the spot. I just left. Um, so from there, I went on this trip. And while I was on this trip, I got into a relationship. I got engaged. And it was kind of a big deal in the family. In the Middle Eastern culture, there's this big formal process to getting in a relationship with someone. It's like they meet the parents, you go to multiple family gatherings, and all this perfectly primed, you know, ritualistic stuff. And so that's not how this worked. I kind of met this person on a whim, and it was this whirlwind, passionate romance thing. And we thought after we're done traveling together, that's when we'll tie the knot and we'll have this perfect life in Europe and yada, yada. So it didn't turn out that way. It turned out to be abusive. And so that was a really difficult thing to get through. And for anyone who's been in an abusive relationship who can relate, it's your whole world's flipped upside down and how you perceive yourself is flipped upside down. So somehow I mustered up the courage to split apart from this person. I continued traveling. And I think what happened was I was able to distract myself through traveling and seeing new things and doing new things. And that was able to kind of keep me from thinking about the problems that had just happened. So I traveled, then I ran out of money and I realized, okay, it's time for me to go home. So I arrived home and then it was that moment where I'm sitting in my room back home with nothing else to do and everything just kind of came crashing in on me, what the experience was, how. I left everything and I was supposed to figure everything out and end up with this perfect life and this marriage and this life situation and all of that was just poof, gone. And here I am alone with very low self-worth, with no money. I had no work. I had left my industry. I didn't know where I was going to go. And then on top of that, being gone for so long, I had disconnected from a lot of friends. So really it felt like I had hit rock bottom and I had nothing mm -hmm. left. In that moment, I just didn't know what to do. and. I'm not ashamed to admit this. I called the National Suicide Hotline because I felt like 
what are my options? My life has hit a brick wall. There's nothing left for me to, and you know, my, my parents and my friends, the ones who were left around me, they're not professionals. They can only help to a certain capacity. Right. So I reached out and I asked this person for help on the other line. They actually do answer. I think I was on hold for like 20 seconds and someone picked up the phone and it was this nice girl. I don't even remember her. She probably introduced herself by first name. I don't even remember what it was, but just hearing that other person's voice on the phone telling me that it's normal to feel the way I was feeling and that it's going to be okay and that there is help. It was so relieving. And the lady told me, if you, if you want help, I could find um, a therapist in your area who can help you. And I said, yes, that would be great. And like 48 hours later, I was connected with a therapist. And from then and there, I started to kind of rebuild who I was and how I felt about myself. Um, That's it in a nutshell. And during that time when I was depressed and feeling down and I would be at home on my couch, I was looking for something to watch on TV. And randomly, I came across a show called Pose. And I thought, well, what's this about? And I looked at the description and it's basically about the LGBTQ community living in New York City in the 1980s. And I thought, well, that's interesting, whatever. And I click play. And this show gave me life. I don't know how else to explain it. it. It's talking about the ballroom scene, about people who are just marginalized and forgotten about in society. And they all band together and form these houses where they adopt one another and they compete and they put on these really glorious outfits and do these dance numbers and they vote. And one of the things that was really highlighted in the show was Madonna's song Vogue when it came out. It was the first time that Vogue and ballroom culture became mainstream and people of the LGBTQ community, like their culture started to become a trend. So it went from being something rejected and thought of as ridiculous to a total like worldwide sensation trend. So I'm seeing this, these actors performing in the song playing and I'm a dancer. So I've been dancing ballet since I was six. And in this time feeling so depressed and so down and having no energy, hearing that song and seeing these these performances, it re-inspired me again. And I started getting up off the couch and jumping and voguing and trying to vogue, trying to copy them. I look ridiculous, but it, it felt <laughs> great. And when I really listened to the lyrics of the song, it really resonated with me because she's talking about everywhere you turn, there's heartache. It's, it's everywhere that you go. And in that community, there are people dying left and right of HIV AIDS. And there's people who have nowhere else to go. Their families rejected them. They reached the lowest of the low point, but there's a place you can go. It's the dance floor. And with the music pumping, it'll give you new life. And that just, to me, it rang so true. And, and little by little looking to that song and going to the gym and rebuilding myself, it just made me feel like I'm blooming like a flower. And it's yeah. the show really just helped me along the way. Wow. (laughs) Yes. I mean, what an incredible story. And thank you for sharing it. And thank you for your vulnerability, because it's never easy to talk about some of those really tough times. So I want to acknowledge that uh, for you and your bravery in this moment, Avisa. Now, I mean, it's like, so you had traveled overseas, you know, you had been working in the ER, you traveled overseas to go find yourself. You found yourself in a relationship and then ended up in an abusive relationship. And then you came back to the U.S. and tried to go back in as business as usual, but there was just so much along the way 
that you had to process and, and you needed that space and time to do that and how you found the hotline, uh, which I, I, per, I actually used to work on a crisis hotline. So I, I, really? I yeah, I, yes, I did. Thank you so, so much for your in work. In the 90s. <laughs> in the 90s. So, uh, yeah. So it, um, yeah. And I can see the the bravery that you had to make that phone call also and to ask for help. I mean, it's, it's, it is so hard. And I don't know from a cultural standpoint, if it's even more challenging, because I know certain cultures, it's just to ask for help in that way outside of the family yes. is even. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm fortunate. My parents in comparison to, I think most of the generation are pretty progressive but the stigma is still there uh, from, so my parents are from Iran. And so the culture is kind of like, okay, if you go see a therapist, it must mean that you're crazy. You're just admitting that you're crazy. Or let's say there's a couple going through a divorce. They won't talk about it at all. They'll pretend like everything is great. They might even still meet with each other and take family pictures together just to make it look like they're still married because of the, the shame, how other people view you. So in a way, even though my parents didn't project that on me through slight comments here and there, it became apparent to me from childhood that the way other people view you is very important. So when I was picking up that phone to call that number, part of me thought in my head, oh my God, this is pathetic. A visa calling the suicide hotline, really? You've reached that low. And it's so judgmental, um, yeah. but there's really no shame in it. And when I, I started to tell people that, and one of my cousins who was feeling in a rough spot, I told him, that, I'm like, look, it's okay that you feel down. I called the suicide hotline once. Like, what? You? But, but you, 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 I'm like, yeah, it's, I'm a human being. I'm allowed to be a human being. And I, it's in human nature to reach out to other people and ask mm -hmm. for help. So there it is. I did it. And I'm still here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, I have to say, I, I thoroughly, as challenging as it was to work on the hotline at times, I also loved it so much because I had repeat customers who would, who would call me, who knew my shift and would call. They may have been in some crisis, but they also just wanted to check in. And, and I totally respected and loved that they reached out. And I, you know, and it wasn't all the time, but just when they needed it. And I, I just remember feeling there was this, um, anonymous feeling, you know, that two humans could be, there was obviously the counselor, uh, me, but the person behind, we don't know each other from outside in the community and that anonymity and that ability just to be the most human, the most real of yourself. I think, gosh, it's, it's like an intimacy. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's, it, it's a realness and authenticity that you just have a hard time finding sometimes face to face and sometimes just in general. Yes, I agree with that. Anonymity is part of, let's say while I was going through those hard times, if I was walking into work and someone asked me, how are you, Avisa? I'd say I'm fine. The genuine answer would be, I'm having an existential crisis and I don't feel like getting yeah. up in the morning. You know, that'll be a lot to unload onto, you know, your coworker right. coffee next to you. <laughs> so you can meet someone who's completely unbiased, not necessarily related to you in any way, and that allows you to be more comfortable and say those things and you know, they're judging of you. And so, yeah, I, I want to, again, thank you for the work that you did because you really play a vital role in society, giving people that ear to listen and just allowing people to just be themselves and, and even to check in with you and not 
necessarily rejecting them when they call, well, we've already been through this and you've right. already solved your issue. So let me get off the phone. You actually like checked in and listened to them and that works wonders for people. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm thinking about the song and, and what I love about the song that you chose and how it resonates. And you can talk a little bit more. I know you talked about how it resonated with your story, but if you want to dive in a little deeper to that, you can as well. And you referenced the amazing show pose, which, oh, such a great show. Like I was so bummed to see this, to, to see it end. I, I, I know it's just, it's so incredible. And, um, but what I love about the song that you chose is that that song really represented inclusion. It really represented, you know, everybody on the dance floor together, no matter who you are, it doesn't matter. We're all celebrating together. And it was this, this inclusion. Yes. That is my favorite part of it. And, uh, to delve deeper into that, I feel as a, as a woman in society, we're kind of given these standards on how we're supposed to look and how we're supposed to act and what makes us woman and what makes us woman enough or good enough. And I've of course dealt with that pressure to look a certain way and be a certain way. And especially with social media today and Instagram and filters and influencers, and you're kind of placed into this mold that if you don't fit into that, you run the risk of just feeling inadequate. And I felt that way as well. I, I don't think everyone is immune to that, that my body should look a certain way or that I should talk a certain way to be more acceptable. And I think we've all heard women, you should smile more. You know, you're not allowed to be upset, whatever it is. And so what the song also meant to me was I'm free to get up on that dance floor and dance any which way I like. It doesn't matter what my body looks like. It doesn't matter what my hair looks like. It doesn't matter where I come from. And I may not have necessarily believed that I was worthy of that acceptance when I first heard the song, but as I kept listening to the song and kept, you know, as they say, fake it till you make it, I would start doing the Vogue move and then start having my own little one person dance party, listening to the song. And little by little, I actually started to believe in it. Yeah. So, and, and that's the most liberating feeling of it is you just love you for you. And it doesn't matter if someone else loves you, you just love you. And mm -hmm. if you are not sure whether you are lovable, Madonna is going to confirm that for you. And <laughs> so that, yeah, that's definitely the, the deeper message of the song for me specifically. Yes. Yes. I love it. And beauty is where you find it. Yes. That, that, that is my favorite line out of the whole song. Beauty is where you find it. So wherever you, you know, in the eye of the beholder, Whatever you see within yourself or within the outside world and whatever you personally think is beautiful, that's it. It's beautiful. Simple. Yeah. Very simple. <laughs> simple. Simple. And all individual, right? Yes. And all yes. okay. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah what, that's, what make, that's what makes things more beautiful is that we don't all look and act the same. Because mm -hmm. if we were just a bunch of Barbie and Ken dolls walking around, it would be pretty drab. Yes. We need variety. <laughs> Variety is key. Yes, absolutely. So Avisa took the Via Strengths Assessment, which is uh, rooted in positive psychology, and it's 24 character strengths that are you to your core. And uh, she's got a beautiful package of strengths, and I'd love for you to share those with us. I have them in front of me if you need. Oh, you have them in front of you? Okay. I think the first one that I got was kindness, correct? Yes. 
Correct. Okay. <laughs> Kindness was your number one strength. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's weird. My reaction when I got that as my number one strength, it was 50, 50 because part of me was like, really? And the other part of me was like, Oh, that's great. And the part of me that felt a little bit let down was because that was often seen as a character defect for me. Other people would point that out. Avisa, you're too nice. And Mm. I guess, you know, in society, you want to be assertive and you want to stand up for yourself and speak up for yourself. And that's very important. But I think oftentimes it's being nice is kind of portrayed as something, I don't know, I guess wimpy, I guess something negative. And so part of that, that kind of, I think it's a false belief. Part of that false belief system was still within me. Oh, great. I'm just the nicest one. And everyone's going to just walk all over me. But there's a difference. Being kind doesn't have to mean that you're being walked all over. And I'm actually happy today. that That's my number one asset. Um, So how I use that in my daily life. So having the experiences I've had and being in an abusive relationship and, and whatever other negative experiences I've had, just being a human being on this planet, I don't think anyone is free of trauma and negative experiences. That might motivate someone to approach the world and just be angry, but I have a rebel personality. So whenever someone tells me to do something, I like to do the opposite. So if someone's going to treat me in an unkind fashion and with cruelty, my way to rebel against that is to say, okay, so you're going to project negativity into the, into the atmosphere. So I'm going to undo that and do the opposite. The more mean you are to me, the more nice I'm going to be to you and to everybody else like kill them with kindness sort of thing. Uh, so yeah. And, and yeah. being on the receiving end of negative comments and, and, and whatnot and, and abusive relationships, whatever gives me more empathy for other people who've gone through that. So after experiencing that, I thought, okay, my goal is to help people so they don't have to feel that way. What can I do to undo that? What can I do to help someone feel less alienated? So. I just try my best to approach everyone with kindness. Of course, I have a temper. I'm a person. Sometimes I might cut someone off on the road every now and then. I try not to do it all the time. (laughs) Sometimes I might. But in general, person to person, I I just try to be nice. And I I just want to help people feel good about themselves. So, yeah. And that comes through uh, loud and clear. And I also have kindness in my top strengths. And what I will say is... Never confuse kindness for weakness. That is one of my favorite quotes because it is true. I am as kind as the days go. You know, I'm, I, people, I've been criticized for being too nice as well, or people thinking that it's not authentic when it is. I just, I just, that's who I am. I love people, you know? Mm-hmm. I, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, <laughs> but, um, but when crossed, And, uh, you know, when certain things happen in life, when my kindness has been taken advantage of, et cetera, et cetera, I'm not weak. I'm a very strong person. And I think it actually takes a whole lot of strength in those moments to number one, practice kindness. It is hard. Like you had said, kill them with kindness. It's still hard to do that. You know, when you have certain feelings or you've been hurt. In addition to that, self-kindness is really a challenge. And and that kindness actually is not just about being kind to others. It's about being kind to yourself as well. So you have that strength. And Avisa, I can only imagine, you know, in that moment when you made that phone call, you were practicing self-kindness. 
You were saying to yourself, I guess I was. I need somebody to care for me right now. And that was strength. That was that was courage, you know, incredible. Now, something I'll say about the strengths, and this comes from Dr. Nemec's book on character strengths interventions, is that optimism, that kindness is really about optimism and social connections. And you're in your day-to-day work, I imagine, you know, you use that quite a bit. Uh, yes. So um, currently, I, I talked about earlier working as an EMT. So now I work as an addictions counselor for uh, LA County. Uh, I work at a place called Tarzana Treatment Center. Uh, it's a wonderful place. They take people who have no insurance and they help them get insurance. Uh, the program I work for specifically helps those who are experiencing homelessness and who are HIV positive. And we accept everyone as well. If you're not HIV positive and you have a place to live, you can still come and get treatment. So that optimism and that connection is paramount in my field. So we're talking about people who may have had a substance abuse problem for like 20 plus years, who don't have any family, who don't have any connections. And what what somebody from the outside might characterize as like a hopeless situation. And I, I cannot emphasize enough how there isn't really ever a hopeless situation. So I approach people uh, in my practice with that optimism that it really doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've had this issue, how long you've been homeless, there's still help for you and there's still hope for you. I think if I didn't have that optimism, I wouldn't be able to be a counselor because I would look at people's life situation and think, oh, so much time has passed. It's exhausting even thinking about it. Why bother? But Coming from a place where I myself have felt like a hopeless cause and having someone step up and actually help me, I just want to give that to other people. And it it might not always work. Some people don't want the help and that's okay too. But what I say in that moment when I'm with them matters and maybe five years down the line, something positive I said to them would come back up again and maybe something will change. So yeah, to always maintain that option. Well, thank you for taking care of the homeless population of LA, um, those that are, and being an an addiction counselor. I think that's incredible what you're doing. Thank you. It it feels, Um, it feels great. I love the work. I really do. Yes, it's great. It's so needed, especially coming out of this pandemic. And the fact that you worked through this during the pandemic (laughs) as well, I, as, as we saw in LA, the homeless population increased substantially due to hardships and uh, substance abuse, et cetera. Yeah, that, so that was the, the hidden pandemic. So you had COVID-19 and people who caught COVID-19, but then underneath that, we had the pandemic that resulted from everything shutting down. I don't think enough people are talking about how addiction and overdose rates went up during the pandemic because they say the opposite of addiction is connection. So when you're closing everything down and you're talking about social distancing, you're taking out that connection. So a lot of people who suffer from addiction, what they rely on is uh, 12-step meetings and other support meetings to go to, to have friendship, to have a fellowship. And so that was taken away. And they had a lot of the meetings on Zoom, which was fine, but you're taking away being able to give someone a handshake or being able to hug somebody or being able to meet somebody somewhere. And so a lot of people felt isolated 
And a lot of people who came into my work were just very, very lonely and felt very hopeless because they just couldn't live life the way they once did. So it was hard. It was difficult working during the pandemic. And of course, myself having to also isolate and then coming into work and then hearing some of the upsetting stories of what these clients went through. It was hard. But I had to, like you said earlier, exercise that kindness within myself and reach out and call a friend and go for a walk and do those things. And sometimes it felt like a real chore taking care of myself, Mm -hmm. but it had to be done. I'm thinking about a time when uh, I was working in a group home uh, for homeless and some dual diagnosis. And I was at the YMCA working out after my shift and my backpack was stolen. And I, uh, and, and, and I was in my, I mean, I didn't have much to my name at that point. I was living below the poverty level and, and part of a domestic peace corps. So I, you know, I, that backpack to me was everything. It was my LL Bean backpack and it, it was, and, um, I had, you know, gone back to the group home the next day and was like, oh yeah, my backpack was taken. Well, lo and behold, every homeless person in Portland, Maine went out on a search to find my backpack. And they they went into every dumpster to find it. And and they came back with pieces of it, but they couldn't retrieve my actual backpack. But then one amazing um, guy uh, brought me a bracelet that he had found and said, I'm so sorry that we couldn't find everything in your backpack, but I found this beautiful bracelet in the process. And, you know, it was like, you know, had just little, little stones, rock stones on it. And uh, I still have it to this day because it was like, it was like I went to work and, and was caring for them. That's how I saw it. But really it was so reciprocal in the fact that the, the level of care that they had for their community and for the people that worked with them speaks volume. And I think the more that we as a society, and especially in this LA area, we need to look at humanity and less about, and this is going to get a little political, but um, less about the the encampments and the things that are going on within our community, right? And I Mm -hmm. think we need to look beyond what we're seeing that each person in that tent city and each person there is a homeless person is a human being, right? Yes, absolutely. The, the people that I've worked with, they all sorts of different backgrounds, doctors, lawyers, performers, artists, people who were at like the top of society and life circumstance one thing after another happened and they found themselves somewhere where they never imagined they would be. And these are some of the kindest, most humble people I've ever met. And because they've been through homelessness and living in a tent and battling with their addiction, they're the most non-judgmental people and who would go out of their way to help someone, to give someone a helping hand. And even if they were hungry, they would share half of their food just to help someone feel less hungry and so, yeah, we really need to let go of the judgment and mm-hmm. just see them as another human being just as worthy of love and affection as, as anyone else. And it's anyone else. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I just feel like it has to be brought up and especially during this time. So other strengths that you have, Avisa, are 
humor. So I, I know this and I got to experience this firsthand. <laughs> and that's one of your top strengths. That's your third top strength. And then love is number two, which I, for those of you who are listening, uh, you can absolutely hear that come through. Uh, and um, 100%. And then also we've got appreciation of beauty and excellence. Okay. Which I mean, you chose Vogue, so let's talk yes. about um, you. You saw the work you, as a ballerina. You yes. see the work behind movement and appreciate the work that that took. You don't take it for what it's worth. You see the work behind it, and that's appreciation of beauty and excellence. Yes, thank you. That was a big one for me, especially if you're if you're coming from a place where you're feeling depressed or anxious finding beauty, any, any little place that you could find it in this world, it, it opens your eyes and, and it takes you out of yourself. And I remember during this time and receiving mental health help <laughs> and going through this rough phase and leaving this abusive relationship and just feeling so down. Uh, my mom, you know, she works as an interior designer and sometimes she goes to other States on assignment. And one day she had come to me and said, I'm going to Boston if you would like to join me, feel free. I happened to not have a job at that time. So I said, okay, I'll come along with you. And while she was at work, I would go out and I would explore. And one of the places I went to was the Harvard Art Museum. And if you're a student, you can get in for free. So I still had my uh, Pierce College student ID. So I got in for free. And so I was walking around and I was looking at all these paintings. And there was one painting that really resonated with me and dang it who was the artist I can't believe I forgot it was a French artist and the portrait was of a woman wearing kind of a blue veil and she's holding her baby and the, the veil and everything in the background is all blue and she's holding this baby and very reminiscent of like the Virgin Mary holding you know baby Christ but when I read the description of the painting and then the woman has a somber look on her face this artist went to a home for mothers who had syphilis so oh. these were yeah so back then when was this maybe like the 17 or 1800s something like that where they didn't have a cure for syphilis so if you had syphilis you were like definitely marginalized and and, and pushed to the outskirts of society and you had no other choice but to kind of, I guess, live in a home and live out the rest of your days. And especially being a woman, a single woman, a single mother in that time period, mm. you're like, you're out on your own. You're out. Nobody yeah. really cares. And so this artist is going to this place where few people would even want to come near and, you know, and painting these people that people would look down upon. And he portrayed it purposely like the Virgin Mary holding Christ because this was my interpretation of it, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, even the homeless person in a tent. They're no different from us. So I think he was portraying this single mother, single homeless mother as the Virgin Mary and her baby as this is that. This is that. So while I'm looking at this beauty and like the, the pain on this woman's face and, and the how amazed I was that an artist took the time to actually make this work in that moment. I wasn't thinking about why I was depressed. I wasn't thinking about why I was anxious. I wasn't thinking about my problems and everything that happened to me. I was thinking about this amazing thing that someone made two, 300 years ago. And so I think 
that's how that quality literally saved my life was that I was able to find something outside of myself to appreciate. Yes. So leaning into that strength, especially during hard times, it really, you know, it, it, it's an almost like an act of meditation in, in many ways. And yes. so, so beautiful. And, you know, and I think the benefit of knowing your strengths in those times of transition or in those times of challenge, you know, knowing that you have this beautiful package of strengths that are unique to you and how you can really pick and exercise them. It makes it a lot easier uh, to manage some some challenging times. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, what I really like about this quiz where I found out what my strengths were is that they're all positive strengths and everyone can find out their own special basket of what those are. And at least what I did was when those all popped up, I thought back to the times when those actually helped me. So I, I think everyone should at least give it a try because everyone has a strength. I don't care if you feel like you're the person who was never picked to be on someone's kickball team. Everyone has their own special strength. And that's what I loved about that. (laughs) They're they're super, superpowers. (laughs) Yes, they're superpowers. (laughs) So good. So this is part of the self-care series. And I'd love for you to give us a little bit of a action item for our audience today, given all of your experience of, of being uh, in counseling and uh, working with others, and then also the the hard and tough work you've done for yourself. You know what would be an action item that you would recommend for our audience today? Okay, so my action item is cold calling your friends. So what cold calling means for those who are not familiar with the term is literally just unplanned picking up the phone and dialing the number. Even if it's someone who you haven't even talked to in like six months or a year, call them up and see what happens. Uh, If you're feeling lonely, if you feel like there's nothing else to do, you'll be surprised at how positive those interactions are. You might think that, you know, such and such never calls me, maybe because they don't like me or they don't want to hang out with me. You'll cold call them and, oh my God, I've missed you. Where have you been? And who knows, you might be seeing yourself hanging out with that person a week later, but that's what establishes the connection. And I feel like this was something people did more like in the 90s, maybe before social media and before caller ID, where you can avoid people's phone call if you know who it is. (laughs) Forget about all that. Pretend it's the 90s. Pretend you have a landline phone and just cold call someone when you feel bored or lonely. It really does make a difference. And it's kind of a big principle that we kind of, we, we tell the clients about at my work. So these clients are trying to rebuild their life and they're going to support meetings and trying to find a community. And that's the number one thing we tell them, have someone on speed dial. When you're feeling anxious or depressed or you're feeling cravings to go out and use something, instead of doing that, call somebody. And it really does make a difference. It sounds so simple that it's silly, but just do it. Cold call someone this week. (laughs) I love it. We have our marching orders. We're all cold calling. We're cold calling. Yes. And uh, those of you who know us, you you have to pick up the phone. <laughs> why wouldn't you? I mean, I, why wouldn't you pick up the phone if I'm calling? So fantastic. And, you know, I want to bring up the point of reentry from the pandemic. So everyone has, you know, experience the pandemic in different ways. And and what's important for us to practice empathy and know that everyone's story, much like 
the people that we see in the tents, they, each person has their own story. And each person coming out of the pandemic has their own story of what they experienced. And I think it's most important that we be aware of that and practice kindness, uh, leaning into that when we are, you know, when we see people in public or when we, or if we haven't heard from somebody, cold call that person. Maybe they're, they're down from being, coming out of the pandemic. They're not quite there yet. It's going to take us, I mean, it's going to take time. I mean, there certainly are things that we have learned during this pandemic that I wouldn't have traded for anything, right? Absolutely. Uh, one and and the appreciation that I have for our healthcare workers and for those like essential workers like yourself, Avisa, who worked tirelessly through the pandemic, putting your own fears aside, putting your own fears aside because it's very real, and putting yourself in and you know out there in the community unprotected at the time because there weren't vaccinations. So huge kudos to you and to all our healthcare workers. Cold call a friend you haven't heard in a while. And just be empathetic to the reentry. Be empathetic to people coming out of this. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, 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 it's going to take some time. And I, I myself feel awkward having everything go back to normal. At, at first, I, thought, I can't wait till everything opens. But now that it's happening, I feel overwhelmed. Like, do I just go back to business as usual? And uh, I don't know. I'm so used to isolating. And it, it's a thing. It, it's going to take a minute. <laughs> it's a thing. It's going to take a minute. And I am as extroverted as the day is long. And you know, we went to a barbecue yesterday. I found that the pool was too crowded and there were too many people and we left because it just felt like I wasn't ready for that yet. I wasn't ready yeah. to be right. Yeah. And, and, and I have to be patient with myself. Like I was a little hard on myself that I wasn't my typical, like we're in this together. Let's all go. You know, it doesn't matter how close we are to each other. And, you know, I had to just tell myself it's okay. It's going to take time be patient with yourself. Absolutely. Be patient with yourself and be patient with other people because I'm, I'm hearing all these news stories about people getting in fights on airlines every other day. I think <laughs> everyone, everyone's tempers are flaring up and it's okay to feel angry. You're not, you're not supposed to never feel angry, but find a positive outlet for that anger. Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Find some beauty. Everybody needs to find some beauty. Beauty's where you find it. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Before we finish up, tell me what were your favorite trends uh, or favorite show during uh, of that come out of the eighties? I'm not quite sure when you were born. I don't believe you were you were born in the eighties because uh, you're very I, young. I, you're just I missed the cutoff. I was born in ninety one, <laughs> but but definitely my fashion and the music I listened to was mostly eighties because I was raised by my parents and I. My mom gave me all her 80s regalia and yes. <laughs> big leather jackets and the shoulder pads. Oh, fantastic. The, so my favorite trend is bold colors. Like those mm -hmm. bold, like when you watch the Golden Girls and you see their outfits, oh my God, I, I want a hot pink suit. They don't make them today and right. it's very frustrating, but we need yes. more color. We need, we need more. more it, it gives life. It gives life. There's already enough beige and navy blue and gray and black everywhere. We need hot pink, neon green, violet, all that. Love it. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and let's see. Second question was show. What show, show would I bring back? Well, I already mentioned Golden Girls. I love the Golden Girls, but I don't think it ever went away. It was always there. Oh. It's still relevant. So it's still there. It's yes. still for us. It's still for it us to enjoy. It will always be there. 
<laughs> it will. We'll always have golden girls. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Last question. Red vines or Twizzlers? Twizzlers. Twizzlers. Every time they're the texture, the taste, it's, it's just a true gummy candy. And the best part is you have the one where you can rip apart and braid and make different shapes. Red vines taste like cough syrup flavored plastic. That's just my opinion. I know there's people who disagree with me, but you know, that's just my thing. (laughs) Love it. Love it. That's so great. Thank you, Avisa, for being on the show today. And I would love to know if people wanted to get a hold of you via social or uh, how would they do that? Okay. I, I don't have a lot of social media handles, but I do have an Instagram. It's uh, Canadian underscore extreme. I am Canadian. And so Canadian extreme on Instagram, that's me. Uh, So if you want to find me, there I am. Perfect. Avisa, thank you again for being on the show today. Um, I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been. And thank you again for your vulnerability, for all of your wisdom and courage. Thank you so much for having me. It was truly a pleasure. And I just want to give a quick plug to my work. If anyone out there needs help, depression, anxiety, physical health, addictions, Tarzana treatment centers, we have multiple locations in Southern California. And if you don't have insurance, it doesn't matter. Just search us up on Google and you'll find it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Um, And thank you for all the work that you guys do there. Thank you so much. This was great. Until (laughs) next time. Thank you so much for listening. We want to hear from you. First of all, tell us how these totally rad stories have inspired you. If you have a story with an 80 song inspiration, we want to hear it. You think this podcast is like totally tubular? Well, we would love your review. Stay connected with us on Podopolo and download the app today. Visit me at www.patriciafreiberg.com. Thank you, and we look forward to a double boost of inspiration next Motivational Music Monday.